Welcome back to the Innovation Engine podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at designing the future and the future of work. Among the topics we'll cover are how machine learning will impact us in the future, how to drive innovation in a global software giant, and what emerging technologies our guest believes are set to have a major impact on the way work happens. Here with us today to discuss all that and more is Martin Vazovsky. Martin is the chief designer and futurist at SAP. As chief designer for SAP's Innovation Center Networks and chief innovation office, he crafts future outlooks, strategies, and products, as well as designs and runs innovation frameworks to find out what's next for SAP. In 2017, Martin was named one of the 100 most innovative minds in Germany by the prestigious Handelsblatt Financial Magazine. If you've been a longtime listener of the Innovation Engine, you may remember that the two of us talked for the episode we recorded at South by Southwest back in 2017. Welcome back to the podcast, Martin. Hey, uh, this is awesome. I'm, I'm happy to be back. Yes. Interesting topics too. Yeah, it's moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. All the way from, from Berlin. So thanks for connecting halfway around the world. Sure. So let's start off the episode by talking about something that's near and dear to your heart, which is the idea of designing the future. How do you describe what that means to a layperson? Actually, the basic is very simple. Uh, if you look at design as a traditional practice that we have had around for, for decades, whatever you imagine as a designer, what it is needed out there, um, you have a design brief, say this is a solution that would be really great. You know, so design is, is you know, answering these questions. And that's what designers are good at. And the first thing designers do is articulate that solution. Okay, it could be like this or like this uh, with different design methods and innovation methods. And then you prototype that, you articulate it further, you make movie pictures. So articulation increases in fidelity. And all of a sudden you have a picture of something that will exist. And if we think about it, that thing will always exist in the future. So the future could be two days from now, two weeks, two months, or 20 years. Actually, that timeline doesn't matter for the design principles there. That is a solution or a wished outcome for a design brief that will exist in the future. So theoretically, you could say, well, uh, when Elon Musk designed, if you wish, the travel to Mars and then made that movie and a principal architecture of how that could be done, that was a design. He designed a future. And I think we all do that uh, more or less. We design futures. We strategize about where we would like to be. We are visionaries about what would be a wished outcome for years from now. That's design. That's a part of design. And the next step is then to articulate, discuss, and engineer and deliver that future. So actually, we do design futures all the time. And my call for action is that, have you thought what these futures would be? Or are you just working on one dot here and one dot there? never connecting them together. And I urge everybody to connect the dots and actually align these vectors of forces and technologies and changes that we provide to point into the future we all want to live in. Um, and to do that, maybe we should describe a little better that's the future we want to live in. That's the utopia that we can reach with engineering and design and discussions. So, so that's the general principle of designing the futures. Okay, nice. 
So furthering that a little bit and doing some research on what you've been up to lately, I took a look at your Twitter feed and saw that you got some great feedback on what sounds like an interesting talk. It was titled, What is Human? What is Work in a Superhuman Future? What was the idea behind the talk? Yeah, um, well, the title is there to provoke a little bit because we might already now be in the discussions so what, what is truly human, the original human, what is traditionally human. Um, we enhance our bodies already with smartphones and devices like, well, glasses, if you wish, to see better and walk better and so on. And so we're changing what human condition is in the physical world already and our you know, cognitive capabilities to understand and maneuver the, 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 the globe. But then when we look at the work, we always see ourselves in a workplace in this traditional way, not always, but often in a traditional way. Well, I go to work, I have my tasks as a human, I need to perform in a certain way. But we're looking at the values of work also being, being changed dramatically somehow. We're moving from profit to purpose, from hierarchies to, to, to networks and so on and so on. So that is also changing this fundamental human thing, going to work. What does that mean? And I added the superhuman in the superhuman future because we believe that we will be enhanced to superhuman powers beyond our uh, smartphones and the, the eyeglasses that we use today to, to see better and walk better and so on, all the helps and aids we have. So we will become superhuman, not only uh, with, with um, the physical world, but also intellectually, uh, in a cognitive way, beyond our biases, we will be helped to take decisions that are much more informed uh, by facts and results of, of real-life causalities, rather than, as I said before, our own biases and prejudices that we have. So we will take better decisions. We will actually take superhuman decisions, decisions that we couldn't figure out ourselves in the current state of our you know, cognitive abilities. So yeah, that's, that's what it, the talk is about because it addresses life. Basically, I also foresee maybe that the vocabulary, the, the, the word work will maybe disappear from, from, from the dictionaries in, in the way where we just say, well, to do something meaningful to follow your purpose, to nurture and foster and acquire new skills, which are gifts you have, right? I, we say that a certain person is gifted with this and that, and she maybe can give that to a project, to an idea, to a problem worth solving. And that would be then work that enhances you know, self-actualization, according to Maslow, both for us, but the communities and teams and, and, and uh, spaces around us. So work human in a superhuman future. I guess that's it. Yeah, it it makes me think a little bit of a, um, there was a 60 Minutes episode of probably about a year or so back that was on how Watson is being used to help with cancer diagnoses. So when you talk about kind of the furthering knowledge and learning, kind of the that interplay between technology and, and, and us. Yes, I do. I usually call it the human machine, if you wish, the human machine or the human machine symbiosis. Uh, we even uh, put a sort of a sentence on that and say, we are aiming for the most empathic, and this is important, empathy, mutual understanding is important, most empathic symbiosis between human ingenuity and machine intelligence. 
skills. So um, the human skills and gifts that are uh, right now unique to, to Homo sapiens and the machine intelligence that are unique to machines. Uh, and then the, the, many of these are of quite given. I mean, we are excellent in empathy, in teamwork and team organization and purpose seeking, if you wish. We are excellent in being curious. All these things are really hard for machines, but machines are really good in, in pattern recognition, finding causalities and remembering and actually having the statistics that tell the truth about the, how the world works to reveal that and reflect that back to humans in a way that we couldn't do it for ourselves. We, we too, would take a lifetime to figure some stuff out that machines can do in a week. So this kind of empathic symbiosis is the human-machine, the human-machine learning. We augment the machines with human reality, and then uh, the machines augment us with machine intelligence. And together, we, we think we can move forward and innovate much faster, much better, and actually have what I called better quality time at work. So much more higher mm, value, of value output, the productivity. And we would value our work higher. We would have more work than ever, but also much more fun at work than ever before. Because these, would stim these, these activities at work will stimulate our ingenuity and curiosity in a very different way than I have done the, the last centuries. Yeah, and in one of your posts on LinkedIn, you quote from a Guardian article about the susceptibility of modern-day jobs to automation. So I won't read the entire passage, but it ends with, at the high-skill end of the workforce, we increasingly work to targets, not time. Is that something you're striving toward at SAP? Definitely. I mean, the, the traditional resources, uh, as we saw them uh, through the third industrial revolution, we, we looked at the the KPI. So, repeat results. This was a good result, Martin. Please repeat it. Scalable efficiency. So, so or scale efficiently. Here's an idea and here's a business model. Please scale it or um, predict your outcomes. So, forecast so we can budget and so on. If you do these things very, very well, you will be bonus. That's the incentives. Unfortunately, if you repeat results, uh, and you, everybody around you is happy, or controllers and managers and logistical and administrative personnel. If you repeat results, you are in the business that is diagonally opposite to innovation, because innovation is actually of not repeating what we know; it's discovering and experimenting on something we do not know. And we're moving to that area since machines can uh, automate many of the tasks that are mundane, repeatable, right? and scale them efficiently, we can now move to much higher value work and conduct and orchestrate uh, and experiment on and observe and, and you know, support the machines where to go. We can find new purposes for new markets and new business models that the machine haven't thought of yet, or we haven't the time to think of yet. Uh, sometimes I even said that we have not been human yet. We will be human at last. We've been just you know, a little bit busy with hunting and gathering and filling in Excel spreadsheets rather than uh, focusing on what we're really great at, to, to curiously you know, seek new purposes and, and try to solve them with transparency, empowering in networks, and, and uh, try to find that purpose through experimentation and showing off to each other, hey, guys, we have this. I just can't wait what you would do with it. 
please remix and make make that better. So that kind of human interaction, subjective uh, idea exchange to reach an objective status and then move on to the next subjective uh, question. That's what humans will do. And we are really great at it. And we also usually think that's that's fun job. So let me step back and ask a bigger question. SAP is a huge international company that did more than $20 billion in revenue in 2016, according to Wikipedia. Uh, with a company so successful, do you ever find it challenging to be one of the people who's supposed to be or who is spearheading innovation efforts there? I <laughs> uh, love that question. Well, challenging, yes, this must be. If it, this was easy, we wouldn't be doing the right thing. Uh, as someone said, you know, if you... If everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong if you really want to challenge the, the, and take new steps. So we structured this in a very nice way. We built on the idea that's been around for a while called the three horizons of innovation and developed our own principles around it. And the three horizons are important. There's a first horizon that all of us basically know. It's, it's the solutions. It's the ready-to-consume uh, solutions that come out on the market. This is, in, in, in principle, keeping your lights on, bread and butter, stay out of jail, be compliant, run your company, right? Keep the promise to the market. Mm -hmm. Now, that horizon is really good. It's the continuous innovation. Sometimes it's actually just your backlog, things you should have done. And that leads to the next horizon, the second horizon we call next, adjacent innovation. So from now to next. This is basically building on the resources, the intellectual power you have today to forecast these, to innovate on something new that the market, your partners, your academia, startups, your customers need. You co-innovate in that for us. This is not operations, executions, and, and delivery. This is co-innovation of something that you would like to have pretty soon. You can forecast for that. The last horizon, the third horizon, is very different, though. This one is called the new, the new strategy. It don't exist, doesn't exist yet, and we call it this transformative innovation. So you have a, an ecosystem that wants you to transform to work or exist in a new sphere. This is vision, thought, leadership. This is inspiration. And when you describe this vision, this is where we want to be 10 years from now, okay? And if you can actually forecast to 10 years from now, it's actually not the third horizon. <laughs> because if you can forecast, you're actually building on something you know today. These steps in the third horizon are new. The only thing you can do from there is something we call backcast. So you describe the vision. This is the state in the year 10. And then you imagine, what would we have to do year 8, 7, 6, and so on to reach that year 10? Now, if you look at your arrow or sort of a vector from your solutions of today to the second horizon, so basically forecasting, in the backcasting arrow, they should meet. If they don't, you have the, the, the delta between the will be your work list. This is what we need to do in the second horizon. They're ready to co-innovate. So this is why we also call the second horizon the trust horizon. You trust your vision. You trust your articulations that you have made. You trust the intel you had to describe that the futures you want. We call them desirable futures. And you trust the resources of today and how you can expand them. And you trust the whole company that you don't measure each other with your three horizons uh, uh, KPI. So 
For example, if you measure the Horizon 3 with uh, production KPIs, the Horizon 3 people look really, you know, useless. <laughs> and if you measure your vision and thought leadership KPIs and put them on your folks and colleagues in the first Horizon production and, and, and delivery, they, use re they, they look really non-innovative. So don't. We have KPIs for all three Horizons and we drive them parallelly with respect for each other's skills and how they meet together in this trust horizon. It is challenging, but that is a method we are using and it's working really well for us. Okay, nice. And on the SAP Innovation Center's website, there's a 2018 Emerging Technology Trends Report. I know you can't adequately sum up 20 plus pages of copy in a short <laughs> answer, but what are some of the technologies that are mentioned in the report? Well, I usually say, I don't remember who said that, but I love that quote. Someone said, you know, in, in interviews, you always ask to, hey, mention the next big thing. What will it be? You know, mm -hmm. what will Apple, Google or, or, or whatever Mars mission do the next thing? And the answer to that is the next big thing is not a thing. It's a relationship and combination and remix of many, many things. And this is where we enter. This is the convergence of technologies. This is the exponential power of, of change and the imagination. Basically, things we do not know that we will imagine tomorrow. So if you combine all these technologies, which is you know, uh, natural language processing, machine learning, and in the end, AI, uh, you, you look at blockchain and the trust systems, ecosystems, and circle economy that might uh, come out of that. You look at the digital twins. Basically, whatever, wherever you look in the world might be censored so we can have a real digital representation of the physical world. Not only your factory floor or maybe the whole company, maybe even a country, right? Maybe even the whole globe. So we can compute on that. So computational design will, will happen. To that, you, the convergence with quantum computing or neuromorphic hardware may come to handy because we will have these amounts of computation to, to make. Then you add this intelligent assistance uh, and, and this conversational systems and the contextual workspace that help you understand this new world that is appearing in front of you in the digital space so you can experiment on it. So I would say the next big thing is changing our behaviors in a much higher value output to utilize all these technologies weaving together a new world for us to consume. So instead of being transactional, um, instead of manage, administrate, do logistics, do controlling or control stuff, we will be on the contextual level and ask the question, why are we doing this? What would that mean if we do this and this and this? So we will experiment and ask questions much more than answer questions back to the system. And that's a, a contextual where we're building on this uh, content power that we have today, the transactional systems, systems of record, and we will have systems of context and interactions and idea uh, exchange and uh, experimentation that, that will emerge. So the intelligence that will spread to, to every person on, on the globe, as we hope, and that, that will be supported by machines. Uh, and you, we can look at several intelligence, so sort of a personal development intelligence. Your decision-making intelligence will come. Your ambitions that can be curated in a way, maybe nudged and reflected to you a little bit better. Your adaptability intelligence. How do you adapt to different situations? Oh, by the way, how do you detect different situations in your work and life 
that are supported by machines, your behave, your social and emotional intelligence. How can we support that? All these things will come to play in the workplace and life through all these technologies. So again, it's a relationship between technologies and humans and between technologies themselves that will give us this symbiosis between human intelligence, human ingenuity and machine intelligence. And that's maybe the, the world I'm seeing uh, uh, emerging the, the years from now. Okay, nice. So a far different picture than uh, than what we see when we hear of all the noise around Twitter these days. And uh, and and <laughs> what a um, an interesting place it has become. Yes, I mean the noise. We can call it many different things, but I usually say this: there's so many utopias uh, out there, but they are pretty quiet. Uh, what's really loud out there are all the dystopias. I don't know if you have noticed, but you know, <laughs> machines will eat us alive, right? Sure, and everybody right. will take your job, specifically yours, right? Yeah. So be afraid. And that's a cheap trick. I mean, Hollywood is so good. But these guys can really articulate stuff, so we almost feel it's happening right now. I love science fiction movies. I think they are great inspiration. But there is also a business model of fear. Entertainment through fear is, is a thing and it works. And we know that psychologically fear reaches us much uh, faster than opportunity. Okay. We want to stay safe. Now, so this is what I say. We don't need to uh, articulate more dystopias. What we need to is articulate more utopias, fantastic future, desirable future, but in an informed way. Actually, we do have a process for that as well here uh, at SAP in our labs. We say that Hey, objective foresight, observe the future, build something we call the future fabric. Put the dots on a map, super objectively. Globalization is happening, blockchain, this and this and this, machine learning, quantum computing. Now, connect these dots, basically be a little bit more subjective, stick your head out a little bit, and tell the future narratives. These are all possible futures, including Hollywood's uh, extreme dystopians. Now, from these futures, pick the desirable futures, the futures that would be great for human human race and human life. Now, from these, take your strategic point of view. Wait a second. We have a long list of really good stuff that could happen. Our strategic point of view would be these and these we can contribute. We, as SAP or as any uh, customer of ours and, and partner of ours out there, any entity with some intelligence power could say these futures we will contribute to in a very positive and impactful way. Well, you just defined your strategy for the future, a really positive, desirable future. You just design and articulate that. The rest is easy, right? The rest is game plan, validation, incubation, and scale, operations. This exploration of positive futures, this is what we need to look at. And this is what we're doing. This is, this is why we have this enormous vision, very pretentious one that says we want to improve people's lives and make the world run better. And pretentious is, in this case, very good because it's almost unreachable, which means that if there's a Monday morning, you have a cup of coffee, you probably can contribute to that vision if this is a Monday morning, even 20 years from now. So so let me ask you to add, to look into your crystal ball a little bit. Uh, we're living in 2018 now, and for all intents and purposes, it feels like the future is pretty much here Many of us have all the information the world has ever known at our fingertips. But let's look ahead, say, 15 years, 2033. What does the typical day at work look like to you? Ha. I don't want to predict futures. I think <laughs> it's uh, it's a fun exercise. Right? Uh, 
definitely. But for the purpose of driving that future, it is a little bit useless because the, the spectrum of futures grows exponentially for each year you look ahead. So if you look seven years ahead, you can imagine 100 possible futures and maybe 15 years ahead, there are 1,000. So which one would you choose? And then coming back to that exercise, well, what have you, have you done that work of imagining what would help people live better? And what we have done is imagining this. We think we're moving from the heavy load of manual and cognitive work, where we are a little bit overloaded with tasks that are repetitive or maybe uh, routine. Even the non-routine problem solving can be sometimes aided by the machines and the AI combination with human ingenuity to, for us to imagine. So imagination, creativity, and long-termism, long-term thinking will be on the agenda on my Monday morning 15 years from now. Explorations and interactions with other entities, both virtual, like the machines, a combination between these and humans, of course. It will be to explore the human nature. Where do we want to be? How do we want to be? So we will supervise, conduct, and orchestrate our purposes. And sometimes when I think about it, uh, what would be the last thing that we actually merge with these machines when we maybe do that? And I think one thing will be really hard to, to mimic or, or to emulate in a machine. And I'm coming back to this purpose seeking. You know, when you and I sit down and everything is okay, uh, we have roofs over our heads, food and love, and we are in a team. Uh, Maslow's pyramid bottom somewhere there. We usually screw it up a little bit. We just start to play jazz. We look around the corner. We explore space and so on. This is what we will do. Exploration, experimentation, idea exchange, associations of ideas, much higher level ideas than we have today. And this uh, will lead to transparent networking and questioning the current status quo. These will be the tasks we will have at, at the workplace tomorrow. And that will always lead to innovative thoughts. This would be sort of the innovator's DNA that we will manage and thrive in uh, in the future. So that's what I'm hoping for. And a day when it's no longer called work. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, very nice. Well, Martin, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about designing the future and the future of work. Uh, Look forward to crossing paths with you again one day uh, in the hopefully not too distant future. Yes, see you in the future. Have fun. You as well. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Martin Vizovsky, you can follow him on Twitter at at Martin Vizovsky. That's Martin W-E-Z-O-W-S-K-I. You can also connect with him on LinkedIn and you can visit the SAP Innovation Center Network's homepage at icn.sap.com to read the trend report we discussed and learn more about innovation at SAP. The Innovation Engine podcast is brought to you by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. Head to www.3pillarglobal.com to learn more about our services. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And we post extensive show notes for each episode on the Three Pillar website at threepillarglobal.com slash podcast. That's three with the number three. 
Don't forget, we also have an iOS app for the Innovation Engine. Search for the Innovation Engine on the App Store from your iOS devices. Last but not least, we're always striving to improve here on the Innovation Engine podcast, and we get asked often, who listens to it? We can see from our analytics that a pretty healthy number of you do listen, but raw download numbers don't do much to help us learn who out there is listening, what your day-to-day jobs are like, and what kinds of topics or which specific guests you might like to hear from. So if you'd like to help make the innovation engine a little bit better, please take a few short minutes out of your day and shoot me a quick email with some of that information. Will.Sherlin at 3PillarGlobal.com is my email address. Also, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and message me there. Thanks as always for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.